Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Jar. My name is Chris, and uh, we are so glad you chose to hang out with us today. This is us, and uh, this is the series that we're in. I'd like to begin this morning a little bit differently than usual, and what I'd like to do is in just a moment, not right now, but just in a moment, I'm going to put up a picture on a screen of somebody that is very popular, and I just simply want you to shout out uh, who you think this person is. Now, everybody who's on the stream, uh, we want you to join along as well. It's more fun when we're all participating. Uh, so we want to invite you to do that. So on the count of three, I'm going to put a picture up here and I want you to shout out who this person is. Okay. One, two, three. Here it is. Who is it? That's right. It's Dracula, right? And uh, some of you are like, I came to church for this. You know, like that's it. No, no, no. Uh, that's why uh, we're beginning this morning. I want you to see this picture. And I want to ask you a question about Dracula this morning. Um, what occupation did Dracula have? Does, does anyone remember? What was he? He was a... A vampire, that's right. He was a vampire and he had one particular need. Do you remember what the need was? His need was, I want to suck your blood. Remember? Uh, I, it's not I want, it's I want to suck your blood. You know, like that's who Dracula was. And uh, if you think about it though, Dracula was kind of a overly needy person. I mean, he was just needy all the time. He was just saying that same line all the time. I want to suck your blood. I want to suck your blood. I want to suck your... Just need and need. I just want more needs. And if you think about it, all vampires are like that. Uh, several years ago, there was a book that was written called Emotional Vampires. And the book was not about legitimate needs that people have because every single one of us um, who are following God, we should meet the needs of other people. We should show compassion and love. People who are poor, people who are hurting, people who are struggling, we are to meet the needs. We are to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. But there are some people... That no matter how many times you help them, it is never enough. It's just never enough. They are overly needy. They consistently just have needs. Even when you meet their needs, they, they have more. And sometimes it's due to the bad decisions they made. Sometimes it's due to consequences of choices they've made. But rather than trying to make a change and do something different with their life, what they do is they continue to just be more and more needy. They actually sock the life out of you. Okay? They sock the life out of you. Now, do any of you know an emotional vampire in your life? Just raise your hand if, boy, this is the most hands I've ever seen raised before. I mean, people are, people on the screen are reaching out going, yeah, I know somebody, you know, um, an overly needy person because what they do is they do, they sock the life right out of you. And there are many ways that we could describe uh, different emotional vampires. But today I just want to give you three types. And this is your first fill-in uh, either on the app or in the program. And it's this. It is the incurably insecure. The incurably insecure. 
These are people that you just had a conversation with five minutes ago and they're so concerned that there's something uh, wrong with the relationship with you that they come up to you and they say things like this. They're kind of like, well, is everything okay? Are we good? Because I just texted you 90 seconds ago and you haven't responded yet. And, and I'm really worried about things. So is everything okay? Did I do something to hurt your feelings? Do you still love me? Do you think I look fat right now? That like, this person's just very in, they're very insecure. Is everything alright? Again, does anybody know someone who is incurably insecure? Right? Like, do we? We all know somebody like that. And a lot of people deal with this throughout their entire life. Here's the second type of emotional vampire, and it's this. It is a drama queen or a drama king, okay? And they come in both shapes and sizes, both genders. Drama king or a drama queen. No matter how little the situation is, they have a tendency to like blow it out of proportion. They make a really big deal out of something that is very, very small. The drama king or the drama queen will come up to you and they'll say, you will never guess what happened to me. Like you will never guess. It is the worst ever. It is the worst ever, ever. Drama kings and drama queens have two V's in the word ever. It is never just ever. It's the worst thing ever that's happened. It is the worst thing ever. Like Ever, 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 ever. Now, do any of you know any drama queens or drama kings? Raise your hand real quick, okay. Now, let me ask you a second question. Everybody take your hands down. How many of you are the drama queen or drama? Be honest, okay. There's a few. Good job. You're in church. Don't lie. All right. Now, the next emotional vampire that we have are financial leeches. They are financial leeches. These are people that aren't just in need, like they need a help, they need some strength. These are people that all the time, they're always broken, they're asking you, like a leech, can you help me? Can you do something? Uh, do you love me enough to be able to do this? And many times it is a habitual need. They're asking for money all the time. And it's generally because of their lack of money management and wise decision making on their own. They're just constantly in need. They will say things like this. Nobody just pays me what I deserve. I work so hard and they're just, you know, always taking advantage of me. That's what they're doing. I'm not getting what I deserve. I should get more than what I am. And that's why I have to ask you for money because it's just a struggle. And the funny thing is that financial leeches often drive better cars and have better clothes than you do. But they're just financially leeching onto you, trying to ask for something more and more. It's just kind of the way that they roll. You know, there's one thing in common that I found with emotional vampires, and it's this. There's one word that kind of is a part of who they are. They're ungrateful. They're just ungrateful. No matter what you do, no matter how many times that you do it, they just are ungrateful. They're not grateful at all for what you have provided for them. 
And what happens is, is typically, finally, when you think you've been taken advantage of, and when you just are not going to do any more, and you say, that's it, what do they do? They wig out! They're like, what are you doing? What do you mean you don't do this? And then they will play guilt trips on you. They'll be like, well, you just don't care about me, I guess. I guess my kids are going to starve because of you. You don't love me. And have you, have you ever heard this one? You know, you're not quite a Christian that you think you are. Maybe you need to be going to church a little bit more. And all of a sudden, it blames to you, and there's this tension. There's a need, but are you the one necessarily to meet it? And have you ever felt that way before? Sometimes a person who's an emotional vampire, they start making you feel so bad that you wonder, maybe they're right. Maybe I'm the one that's mean and I'm not kind and, and I'm ungodly in some way. And there's this tension that takes place. Now, the good news is, is that Jesus actually understood this tension. He lived it throughout his ministry and his life. And in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, we read this. When Jesus saw the multitudes, he was what? The underlying part. What's it say? Yeah, moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Now, this phrase, moved to compassion, comes from a Greek word called uh, splachnon. Splachnon. That's kind of fun. Let's say that out loud together, okay? Splachnon. Now see, now you have something. It's moved with compassion. What it literally means is it's that place in your life that is your intestines or your inward parts, the deepest part of your belly. It is deep within and it is this inward affection. You have this tender mercy towards somebody else and Jesus was moved uh, with compassion. He had this moment most intense kind of sense of being able to care for other people. In fact, this kind of leads us to our big idea this morning, and it's this, that Jesus cared more than anyone else who ever lived. Jesus cared more than anyone else. But here's where the tension lies. Not only did he care more than anyone else who ever lived on planet Earth, But he did not grant every request. He cared more than anyone else who ever lived, but he did not grant every request. There were times in which he would come uh, into uh, large crowds of people who were sick. And he healed many people, but he did not heal everyone. There are times in which the disciples are saying, no, 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 there's more. Let's stay here. And he goes, no, we need to move on. You see, he would heal some, but he didn't heal everyone. He didn't grant every request. And that's where the tension lies. Now, folks, I cannot give you a cut and dry answer of how you are to care for other people. Um, Because you have to be led by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes when you're asking God, God, do you want me to meet this need? He'll say, yes, absolutely. You should be moved to compassion for this. Other times you'll hear absolutely nothing. And that's the sign that you need to walk on. You need to walk forward. You need to move away from that situation. 
So for the rest of our time, what I want to talk to you about is how we can help people without enabling them. How we can help overly needy people, but we don't enable them. And here's kind of the first way we do that. We offer them what they need, not what they want. We actually offer them what they need, not what they want. Folks, when people are overly needy, they often become very dependent upon us. And I want you to know, you don't want anyone to be dependent on you. You want everyone to be dependent upon God. You don't want them dependent on you. You want them to be dependent upon God. So we want to offer what they need, not necessarily what they want. Now, there's a great example of this in the Bible in Acts, uh, which is in the second half of the Bible in the New Testament. Um, it's the story of the Acts of the early church. And the story that we have uh, is of a crippled man who's been crippled his entire life. And he is sitting at the steps of the temple. And the reason he sat there is because people would walk by him all the time to go into the temple. And uh, the way that he would survive is he would take a tin can or, or some kind of bag and he would just ask people, please, and he would beg, please give me some money. That's the way that he survived. Please provide for me. Well, one day, Peter, uh, one of Jesus' closest followers and the head of the early church, is walking by this man, and this man is asking him, give me some money, I need some money, help me. And Peter doesn't give him what he wanted. He actually gave him what he needed. Instead of giving him what he wanted, Peter gave him what he needed. And in Acts chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, it says this, Then Peter said to him, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. What's the next word? Walk, walk. Verse seven, talking or taking him by the right hand. What did he do? What's the underlined word say? It says he helped him up. He reached down and he actually helped him up. Up. This is the classic story of rather than giving a hand out, you actually give a hand up. You provide for someone. Peter, through the power of God, did not give this man what he wanted. He gave him what he needed and he provided healing for this man. Early on in the uh, life of the jar... Uh, we were meeting in homes and we had reached out to a young couple who had many different struggles in their life. And uh, they recently had just become sober from uh, drug addiction and uh, they had come to us and we were helping them. But both the boyfriend and the girlfriend were uh, unemployed. And to make matters worse, the, the girlfriend was pregnant. And so it was just a really challenging situation, but uh, the dozen people or so that were in the church at that time, uh, they were just like all for this couple. And they're like, we're going to be able to provide for them. And they provided finances and food, help pay for bills, all kinds of stuff. And finally, uh, this woman came to the point where she was going to have her baby and we were all excited and she was too. And then she had the tragedy 
of having a stillborn death. And it was so overwhelming for this couple and for me and the early church that was a part of the jar. And uh, we really weren't sure what to do because we were very concerned that they would relapse and they would start abusing drugs again. And so we reached out to them and we cared for them. And finally, uh, the guy said, you know what, we can't afford a funeral. But they gave us a little plot somebody in my family did, but we don't have a marker. And I would really like to have a marker so that our child uh, is always known. And some of you maybe know the pain of a stillborn death or losing a child. And having them not be forgotten is so important. And so... Um, I went back and I said, well, all I can do is ask. And we raised hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And we got this marker that was placed on there and we cared for him. And then we helped this guy actually get a job. And he got a job to where he could get on the MITS bus and he could drive back and forth. Well, one day I got a phone call uh, from this guy. And uh, he called and he said, hey, I I wondered if you guys could buy us a car. And I sat there and I was thinking about it. And I said, well, can you still get to your job with the bus back and forth? He's like, oh, yeah, it's no problem at all. I said, oh, okay." And I just kind of felt at this point in my life that we had done all we could do. And it was at that point we'd given thousands and thousands of dollars uh, to meet their needs. And I just said, well, well, no. We can't do that, but we will help you budget your money. We know somebody who gives, you know, uh, used cars. They sell them. We can help you with that, and we can do that for you. And then at that point, I'll never forget, this guy started saying four-letter words that I had never heard before. And he called me everything under the book except Chris and Pastor. Those two words never came out. And in the midst of all of this... um, He said at the very end, and this was the most painful for me at the time, uh, he said, I never want you to call me again. And then he hung up the phone. And I never saw the guy again ever in my life. And we we had met so many needs. Folks, the, the reality is, is that you have to meet needs. That's what it's called. And that's all we did for these people. We met their financial needs, we gave them food, we cared for them in different ways, we prayed for them, we loved them. More importantly than anything else, we connected them to Jesus and how much he could be the one who would meet the need. But at the end of the day, folks, it wasn't enough because they were emotional vampires. They just wanted more and more and more. And what happens with emotional vampires, then they'll pile onto you guilt and blame. And then you're like, maybe I'm not who I thought I was. Maybe I'm not the most kind or godly person. You see, folks, when you're dealing with overly needy people, this is what you have to realize. First of all, you have to identify the real need. What is the actual real need? That the person has and you meet that need or what will happen is they will suck the life right out of you. So the first way we help without enabling is we meet the need, not the want. Okay, we meet the need, 
not the one. Let, let's all say this out loud together. It'll come up on the side screen. Uh, let's read this phrase together. Together, um, Offer what they need, not what they want. Let's say that again. One, two, three. Offer what they need, not what they want. Now, the second way that we can help without enabling is we set boundaries. We set boundaries. Now, um, this whole teaching, we've been talking about this, but in week two, if you remember, if you missed it, it's okay. But you can check it out uh, either on the app or on the website, but we put one whole teaching towards boundaries. So I'm not going to go way into this except to say this, that when you're dealing with overly needy people, um, there are two boundaries that are essential. Two boundaries that are essential. The first one is, is that you have to set specific time boundaries. You have to set specific time boundaries. Because overly needy people will ask you for a whole bunch of time, and you have to upfront tell them how much time you can actually give them. And so it might sound something like this. Someone says, hey, I really need to meet with you. Can we talk? You're like, absolutely. I have an hour that I can meet you for this. Or I have 30 minutes. Or sometimes I've done this before. I have 10 minutes that I can meet with you. And sometimes what happens is overly needy people say, well, that's not enough time. And sometimes I've had to actually set the timer on my phone. And when the 10 minutes come up, I said, hey, this is what I can do today. I can meet with you another time. But today, this is all that I can do. Now, the second kind of boundary you have to set is what I call a resource boundary. That if you want to be healthy, you've got to set a resource boundary. Now, what does this look like? Let's say that somebody comes to you and they say, hey, uh, I lost my house. I lost everything. Can I stay with you for a while? This is what you do on the front side. You go, absolutely. You can stay one week on my couch. We'll care for you. We'll do whatever. You can stay one week. And when that one week comes, if they're an emotional vampire, what are they going to ask for? More weeks. And you tell them, no, 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 no. We sat on the front side and you agreed to it. You were going to have one week that we cared for you. That's all we can do. Or when it comes to finances. They're like, man, I'm broke. I just don't have anything. I need some help. For You say, okay, for the next three months... What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you $20 per month for the next three months. But after those three months are done, that's it. I can't give you any more. And again, what will an emotional vampire do? You'll get to the end of the three months. I'll go, you're going to just leave me out in the cold? No, 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 no. I just provided for you every single month for the last three months. Now it is up to you. So you set a resource boundary. Folks, this is why we set boundaries. It's not because we're mean people. We actually love people and we don't want them to be dependent upon us. We want them to be dependent upon God. So with overly needy people, it's really important that you let them know. I care about you tremendously. The reason I care about you so much is because you are a child of God. And because I care for you, I'm actually going to set this boundary here. You genuinely care for people, folks, when you set boundaries. So we offer them what they need, not what they want. We set healthy boundaries and we love them enough to allow them to face their own consequences. We love them enough to actually allow them to face their own consequences. 
Now, I'll tell you, this one is really difficult to do, especially when someone's life is just falling apart. Maybe they're in jail. Maybe they're getting ready to file bankruptcy. I mean, it is just at a point where you're like, ugh. So we need to have Scripture kind of guide us in this. And there's a passage of Scripture in Galatians chapter 6 that talks about this. Galatians is in the second half of the Bible in the New Testament. And a guy by the name of Paul, who wrote close to half of the New Testament, he gives us these words. He says this, Don't be misled. Remember that you can't ignore God and get away with it. You will always, and what does the underlying part say? You will reap what you sow. Let's say that out loud together. You will what? Reap what you sow. Reap what you sow. There are always consequences to our behavior. Verse 8. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful desires will harvest the what? What's it say? Consequences. Of decay and death. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Folks, this scripture is very clear that our actions have consequences. We reap what we sow. If we sow sinful actions, what's going to happen? We're going to reap sinful consequences. If you do things that create pain and hurt uh, in your life that are sinful, eventually pain and hurt will come back to your own life. And what's so hard is to watch people that you love, who you genuinely care for, go through this. And so what do we do? We try to help them and we sometimes don't let them face their own consequence. Folks, let me be honest when it comes to the whole sin thing so that everybody gets it. You know, actually, sin is fun for a while. It is. Sin is fun. I've, have you ever experienced? Some of you are so holy. You're like, oh no, I never do it. No, sin sometimes is actually fun for a while. The problem is eventually there are consequences and they catch up to you. And some of you are facing some hard consequences right now in your life. And the reason you are is because of some things that you've sown. And there are sinful decisions that you've made and now all of a sudden there is pain that's there. But this is what I need you to know. You can change. Every single day, we are given a new opportunity and we can change. We can be different. Now, in dealing with overly needy people, we need to allow them sometimes to face their own consequences. And let me share you, uh, share with you two things around this. Here's the first one. Rescuing isn't always helping folks. Rescuing people isn't always helping. Rescuing someone from consequences is not always helping that person. Those of you that are parents, that are moms or dads, and some of you are parents of 20-somethings, and sometimes that can be a huge challenge uh, that you're dealing with. And 
Sometimes the best thing you can do is actually step back and you say, I don't want to see you get hurt. But if you keep making these choices, then you're going to go down a road and you'll have pain. I'm telling you, I'm a little further than you, so I've experienced it before. Rescuing is not always helping. Now, this is what will happen, though, as soon as you go to an overly needy person and you choose not to help them. When you choose not to rescue them, and you've rescued them in the past, like every single time, and eventually you're like, that's it, I just can't do it anymore. When you don't rescue them the next time, and you say, enough is enough, that's it. Do you know what they're going to do? They're going to go off. They're going to be like, you don't love me anymore. You don't care for me anymore. You are not a Christian. Because if you were, you would be caring for me. You would rescue me again. If you loved me, you would help me. And what you're going to have to say, which is a very bold thing to do, and it's difficult, is you have to say, you know what? I do love you. I care for you. I care for you enough to not rescue you this time. It's tough love. It's hard love. But it's real. And sometimes that's the kind of love that shapes a person's character more than anything else. When I was in uh, college, there was a season of my life where I just went off the rails. I started drinking and partying and uh, using some marijuana and uh, got in some really unhealthy relationships. It was just bad. Really, really bad. Now, Like I said earlier, though, it wasn't all bad at first. It was actually fun for a season. I mean, I was like, "Woo, this is this is life. But then all of a sudden, like I said, consequences start happening and things started happening in my life. And my life started just kind of coming off the rails. And my parents noticed this and uh, they tried their best to tell me, Chris, you know, you're not making really good choices right now. You can be better than this. I'll never forget my mom telling me this. Chris, you can be better than this. And I just wouldn't listen. And I kept doing the same thing over and over again. And I felt a void, but I didn't care. I just kept doing it. And then eventually, you know, they didn't say this in words, but they said it in their actions. They said, Chris, uh, we love you, we care for you, but if you keep doing this, we're not going to come to your rescue anymore. And there were some things that happened in college that were extremely painful and things that happened to me that uh, I didn't like at all. And they, they said, we're going to pray for you, we love you, but we're stepping back now and you're going to make your own choices. I finally hit one of the lowest points in my life and my parents just let me face the consequences. And I remember later on, I was in my mid-twenties and my dad and I were talking one day and I said, "Um, Dad, what was it like to watch me just kind of go through that? And I'll never forget, he said, Chris, it was the hardest thing that we had to do, but we realized that we prayed, we loved you, we trusted God, 
but we had to let you make your own choices. And they watched a crash. Folks, it isn't always the best thing to rescue people. Sometimes the best thing you can do is take a step back because rescuing isn't helping. Sometimes you need to do it, absolutely, but sometimes you don't. And maybe for some of you, you have a brother, a sister, a parent, uh, a cousin, a friend, a family member, somebody, a coworker, and you've been rescuing, trying, trying, and it's not working because I'll tell you, it's not helping. Now, if you don't get anything else throughout this whole teaching, if you're like, oh man, there's a lot, I don't know. Focus in right now, all of those of you on the stream as well. And this is what I want to say. It's my last thought. Jesus is the Savior, not you. Jesus is the Savior, you're not. The problem is, is that sometimes what happens, especially when it's with people that we love the most, we think we are the, the essential ingredient to help change their behavior. Well, if I just talked to them more, if I did more, I'm the essential ingredient to change their behavior. Sometimes you might even think that you are the essential ingredient for their salvation. And I'm telling you, you're not. Wake up call, you're not. Jesus is the Savior, not you. Because what happens sometimes when there's an overly needy person, if you try to do something to save them, it doesn't help. The only one who can meet every need in our lives is Jesus himself. And whoever that person is, he loves them more than you ever will love them. And he will meet the needs that they have. Jesus never leaves us alone. He meets our needs. And for some of you today, you've got that overly needy person. And you've got to remember, Jesus is the Savior, not you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for having a heart of compassion for us. Help us, God, to be moved with that same heart of compassion for the people around us. I ask right now, God, that you would open up our minds and our hearts to anyone in our life right now that is hurting and is in need. Maybe it's because they made some bad decisions. Maybe it's because they've had a harder life maybe than we ever have. And so right now, what I'd like you to do is to think of someone in your life who is in great need right now. They're deeply hurting. And if you have someone in your life who is hurting deeply And you want to see God move in their life. Would you just raise your hand for a second? Say, yep, there's someone who's hurting deeply, God. Just raise your hand. And I would just ask you to allow that person's face to come to the front part of the image of your mind right now. And as you're lifting your hand up to God, I just ask right now, quietly, silently, you just say a quick prayer. 
for whoever that is. God, you know the name of everyone who's hurting that's on our hearts right now. God, we lift them up to you. And we ask, God, that you would meet their need. We ask that you would speak to us, God, even in the midst of the tension of not really knowing whether we are to meet every one of the needs or to do something else, God. We, we just ask that you would give us wisdom on what to do. Help us, God, to offer to them what they need, not what they want, to set a healthy boundary if that's it. And God, if they're going through something right now, that we love them enough to allow them to face the consequences. And as our hand is lifted up, God, we release them to you. We trust them to you. We are not the Savior. You are. And we ask God right now that in this moment, God, you would touch them by your Holy Spirit. God, we ask that we would see you move in a way in their life that we don't understand right now, that you would meet the need that they have. And by faith, God, we release them and we trust them into your care. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can put your hand down. You know, there are some of you right now that you're in need right now. It's not a physical need. It's not a financial need. It's not an emotional need. What your need right now is a spiritual need. You feel a void in your life. You feel empty right now. And what you need, folks, is a relationship with Jesus Christ himself. The one who says, I will meet every single need that you have if you turn to me. And for some of you right now, you're going through something where in your mind you're like, well, I just don't think he wants a relationship with me because of what I've done in my past. And this is what I need you to know, that God cared for you so much. He cares for you more than anything else. You just can't imagine how much he thinks of you. That he does not want you to go through this thing called life by yourself. He wants a relationship with you. He loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to go to a cross to die for all of your sins. Everything that you've ever done in your life so that that could be removed and you could be set free and you could have new life and life with him forever because three days later he rose again. And he said, anyone, and that includes you, that includes the person who's watching on the stream right now, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be made whole, will be brought together. He will do that for you. And so today, if you're like, I need that in my life, I need his love, I need his grace, I need a second chance, I need his presence with me, I need him there, I'm tired of living in this void, I need Christ in my life. Jesus is the only one who can fill that void, folks. He's the only one. And so right now, 
You can just call to him quietly within your soul. Jesus, I need you. I need your love. I need your forgiveness. And right now, if you feel comfortable, I'm going to invite you in a prayer. But it's not a prayer that you pray by yourself. It's one that we pray together in unity. And I invite you to simply repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I give my life to you. I am in need. I know you are the answer. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe you died for me and rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.